we don't know a ton about dietrich bonhoeffer's last hours but what we know is he was a faithful christian to the end in the nineteen thirties he wrote his famous book the cost of discipleship but he's probably most famous for his decision to get involved in the plot against adolf hitler and it was not an easy decision for him. The Nazis were getting more and more powerful, and so many people were bamboozled by the complexity of the situation. It's very easy for us with hindsight to say, oh, I would have done this, or the church should have done this, but it was very complex, very difficult. Bonhoeffer was a man who simply wanted to do the will of God. He was the leader of an illegal seminary, an underground seminary of the confessing church. Those are the good guys who uh, did not go along with the Nazified state church. He was not seeking uh, to die. Uh, I think uh, he would not make his decisions based on fear. Uh, he simply wanted to know what would the Lord call me to do. And things were changing in Germany very dramatically, and Bonhoeffer was constantly asking the Lord to show him, now what do I do? Now what do I do? This was a time where really when the SS gave orders to destroy uh, synagogues, to burn synagogues. Uh, this was in 1938. He realized that this attack on the Jews was an attack directly on God himself and on the people of God. And innocent lives are being killed left and right, more and more and more and more and more. When do we say, I have to stop him with violence? And when the time came actually to get involved in the plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler, he did come to the conclusion that this was what God was calling him to do. Uh, and he took action. He was very bold and he was all about action. And just around his time, he was arrested for uh, his involvement in an operation to get seven Jews out of Germany. That's a far cry from being involved in the plot to kill Hitler. Then once that plot was uncovered, of course, Bonhoeffer's days were numbered. Bonhoeffer had this really uh, extraordinary and I would say supernatural ability to hear what God was saying, to get the biblical perspective. Uh, and he was astoundingly resolute. And then he was a champion, a hero in being resolute and not just for himself, but in how he dealt with other people, exhorting them to act, not just to say, well, this is interesting, let's give it, let's have some more committee meetings, but to, to think it through to the bottom and then to act. You know, just like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there's so many these modern day trailblazers all across the world that are fighting for human rights. People like Shannon Davis, the CEO of Bridgeway Foundation, who's combating the Lord's Resistance Army in Central Africa. Let's take a closer look at Shannon's story. In the midst of such urgent situations, I think we all find ourselves hoping that we would do the right thing, that we could be brave and strong. I believe that every day that we spend on this earth, we're offered unique opportunities to save lives. As far away and as foreign as we want it to be, it is not. When we choose to give our full attention to a problem, we can make a difference. Ten years ago in 2001, Shannon Sedgwick Davis packed her bags and left a big law firm in Texas 
to head to D.C. to work for a small startup human rights organization called the International Justice Mission. Ten years later, Shannon has now traveled the world working with multiple organizations and is now a global leader in combating the violence of the Lord's Resistance Army in Central Africa. In her current role as the CEO of Bridgeway Foundation, Shannon works alongside historic individuals like Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu on the advisory board of the Elders, a group of world leaders assembled to contribute their wisdom, leadership, and integrity to tackling some of the world's toughest problems. But at her core, Shannon is a mom. She's a mom of two rambunctious young boys, Connor and Brody. And although they're too young to understand why their mom routinely travels to places like the LRA-affected regions of Central Africa, one day they will see what their mom now knows, that nothing is more powerful than getting involved with something bigger than yourself. It'd be helpful if you clap. It's really quiet right now. <laughs> B plus. Okay. Uh, my name is Adam, and uh, it's just a real gift to be back here. Uh, I've known Chad for a long time, and I'm currently a pastor down in uh, Tennessee. Anyone from Tennessee in here at all? One hand. Thank you. Uh, thanks for lying and making me feel comfortable up here. <laughs> you and me. The rest of the service. All right. Uh, before we jump into uh, this sermon that, that we have, it's a, uh, something probably we need to really acknowledge. You know, tomorrow is Veterans Day, and, and even particularly in my community that I serve in, we are surrounded by a strong military presence. And even just the option to sit here and gather in a room like this, free of persecution and fear, and to be able to enjoy the freedoms that our country has provided so consistently, uh, consistently for really, you know, hundreds of years, is a miracle. And that, that miracle has come uh, certainly because of spiritual favor and blessing, but, but also because people have been willing to enlist and, and to serve and to say, I will defend these freedoms. And so if you know a veteran, uh, I just want to encourage you, the best thing that you can do is to just look them in the eye and shake their hand and say, thank you. Uh, specifically, I just want to say one other thing, too. Uh, if you know a veteran and, and they have a family, it's not just that the people who go somewhere and serve or, or who are um, actually doing the work of being in the military that deserve thanks. In, in many ways, the families that are left behind and, and that are trying to make life go without uh, a partner being there um, also do a tremendous amount of work as well. So if you have served or if you are currently serving in, in any capacity or if you know someone who has served, it really is a monumental thing to celebrate tomorrow for Veterans Day. So make sure that that's on your radar, okay? All right, yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's uh, talk about this idea of being a trailblazer, specifically in this area of humanitarian rights. And we've just seen a couple videos of um, a few people that have been able to do that with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and Shannon Sedgwick Davis. And this is important to think about because virtually every religion that, that exists or that has existed and virtually every philosophy or way of kind of making sense of the world, uh, certainly virtually every system of, of human rights is predicated upon uh, this main idea that how we treat other people really does matter. Okay? How we treat other people really does matter. And that's for a few different reasons. Number one, there's just a, a really practical implication of that, that generally speaking, when you decide or when someone decides to treat people well, things tend to go better. 
right? Uh, and, and that works on like these really big macro levels like nations and countries uh, and continents even and neighbors, you know, in terms of countries. But it also works on like this really micro level too with the people that are, you're actually sitting probably right next to. That when you decide to treat people well, things just generally go better. And so uh, every religion and philosophy has kind of said, hey, look, let's try to treat people well, uh, regardless of the motivation. Now, there, there's another reason why this is important. And, and this is uh, may, maybe pressing things a little bit further. When you decide to treat people well or when you decide to care about other people, uh, regardless of what it means for just kind of making things go better, every religion and every philosophy and certainly every system of human rights has said that this is a reflection of our character. And this is probably what's unique to you and to me in different ways, is that uh, squirrels don't have character, as cute as they are. Uh, lions and zebras, it's not like a lion goes and just mauls a zebra and then gets back and said, you know, I really was a little aggressive there. I could have just mercy killed him quicker, but, you know, I just... Uh, Man, it was just fun. Like, there's just nothing in these other species that can reflect on goodness like you and I can. And so, when we talk about treating people well, and we talk about thinking about how we treat people, it shows something in us. Now, immediately we have some problems. Okay? And let me talk to you about two of them. The first is this. When we think about our character and we think about trying to treat people well, we have to come to terms with the fact uh, that we're a mixed bag. Can I just use two examples which are probably pretty common to, to most people in this room? The first thing that I want to tell you about is that, uh, and that shows us really how much of a mixed bag we really are is parenting. For those of you that have kids, I, I'm kind of in the throes of right, that right now. We have four young kids, you know, aged nine down to about 20 months or so. Who really knows? By the fourth one, you stop caring. And then... <laughs> Oh, I thought this was a safe space. Never mind. All right, never mind. All right. So there are days, there are hours even, when I might be really generous and really kind and loving to my kids and in the same hour be incredibly selfish and incredibly impatient. Uh, you might not have kids, but, but I know that you have parents. And I would bet that your understanding of how they parented you was a mixed bag. That some things they did really, really well and other things they probably did pretty terribly. And you're left even with wounds now. Some of you that maybe even are, are um, seasoned. Is that a nice way to say old? Seasoned? <laughs> you probably still carry things about your parents. We're a mixed bag. The other example that maybe you don't connect with that, and that's okay if your heart's all hardened and dark, and maybe you can think about this other thing that, that is uh, probably really true, traffic. <laughs> that's funny. Everyone's like, oh, I really understand traffic. Parenting, I'm not willing to laugh about, but traffic, <laughs> we get it. Sometimes you might be incredibly gracious, and you let that person go who rode the merge lane forever, never mind the 16 signs that said this lane is going to end, you let them in and you say, no problem, I get it. Other times you say, absolutely not. I will force you into the median before I let you in. Just to teach you a lesson. And when I drive by, I will look at you while I do it. Yeah? Just to make sure you understand that I know whether I'm teaching you a lesson. We're mixed bags, yeah? And so any talk of character, any talk of caring for other people, we have to come to terms with this fact. The second thing that we have to come to terms with is that our hearts carry with us an incredible amount 
of a capacity to judge others. Now you may say, maybe that's not me. Can I just give you like one really innocent example? I'm not even going to press this super hard. The grocery store. Some of you, you will go into the grocery store and you will thumb through ingredients. And, and can we just think about this for a minute? Have we ever lived in a, in a time that has been so food conscious as us? This has gluten in it, get it away. Oh my goodness, this is, a, this is not one of the superfoods. Or, oh, this has dairy or this has something else in it. Or carbs, dear God, you know, and get this out of here. And then you see someone else walk by and they've got like armloads of pasta. Tell me you don't judge them. Fine, your early death, do whatever you want. And then on the other hand, maybe some of you, you, are, you see it the other way where you think, oh my gosh, all I see in this other person's cart right next to me is kale. Just get some, get some Fruit Loops and let your kids eat for something, man. <laughs> and of course, this extends even further. Where we, we judge And we have prejudice and bias in us, especially towards people that are different than us, especially towards people that we feel better than. Right? So anytime we talk about character, we have to admit that it's it's not as easy as just saying, well, yeah, just do the right thing. Most of us probably struggle with that in one way or another. Here we have these two people, Shannon Sedgwick Davis, who who seemingly has found some ways to move forward and to do the right thing. And we have Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who who found some ways to do the right thing. My hope for us this morning is I just want to talk about two things that their lives can teach us. Two things that their lives can teach us about doing uh, the right thing and treating people better. Learning to, to follow these kind of innovations that they've shown us about being a human being and caring for others, okay? The first thing goes like this. Uh, these lives, whether it's, you know, Shannon's life as, as an attorney and then turned into this social justice activist on behalf of, um, you know, really tragically uh, suffering people in Uganda. Or whether it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who cared for his Jewish homeland and cared for the, the victimization of the Jews and stood up against the Third Reich and, and Adolf Hitler. They both kind of have this common thing where they latched onto this idea that true significance and true meaning comes when we focus on others. True significance and true meaning in your life and mine comes when we focus on others. Now, this is probably pretty challenging for us to think about. And whether we are ready to admit this or not, uh, our modern life is set up based upon some kind of core ideas. And this started with the French Revolution, which really kind of started with Uh, the Renaissance and some reaction to that. And I'm not going to go through all the history because I probably get some of it wrong, maybe if not all of it wrong, but you guys are welcome to read about yourself. But the long and the short of it is, is that as this focus on the individual has kind of just snowballed into where we are today in 2019, we have never lived in another time in the history of the world where the needs and the desires and the wants of an individual are placed so highly above everything else. Everything. Uh, I'm not trying to be cute here, but but this really kind of started a long time ago, and and, and maybe uh, it's best epitomized through this kind of catchy slogan. Do you guys remember the old Burger King slogan, have it your way? That really could sum up the entirety of our modern life right now. It's not just coffee. It's coffee with a million choices right now to get it exactly like you want it. Uh, What did Henry Ford say? Sure, you can have any color car you want as long as it's black. 
Now, you have so many choices about the vehicle that you drive. And the internet has kind of only exasperated this, where you can search for and buy everything that you want. And, and our grocery stores, again, show us that you have, you know, 1,500 choices of cereal and 25 choices of shampoo and all of these things. And so our, our society is telling us that your individual needs are the most important thing. And then, uh, let's talk about even one step further, this gets in, into an idea of happiness, I'd be willing to bet that the majority of us in this room think that we have a right to happiness, mainly because it's kind of emblazoned upon us from the history of our country and our Declaration of Independence and all of these other things, you know, Bill of Human Rights, stuff like that, that, that we have a right to happiness. I'm not here to debate that or not. Those are for, uh, debates are for people that are way smarter than me. But what I will say is one of the effects of that, that we have a right to happiness, is we think that happiness is best defined by realizing my individual rights. And so I would bet that most of you are desiring to be happy and they probably come down to what you individually want. Now that's a modern thing, okay? But in like the last three, four hundred years. Life's been going on for a long time. And in ancient wisdom, up until this kind of point, especially where it's been um, just really front and center after World War II, especially here in America, and ancient wisdom has been an abandoned And that ancient wisdom used to go like this, that the needs of the individual are always put beneath the needs of a community. Always. And that the needs of the individual are always supposed to be worked out through this practice called self-denial. And real character, real wisdom was an ability to exercise self-denial for the greater good. Now, is there anything that sounds foreign to us like that today? Think about even in terms of a marriage or even in terms of a family or in terms of your work. Most of us approach these relationships now thinking that we need to get what we think is coming to us. And yet, an ancient understanding of relationships would have been we need to give to the needs of the greater community even if it means great sacrifice of our individual desires. Now, those are way different. And Bonhoeffer somehow managed to escape this trap of modern thinking. Shannon uh, Cedric Davis is escaping this trap of modern thinking and is saying, no, 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 the needs of the community outweigh my own individual needs. Let me put a quote on the screen from uh, Bonhoeffer. Let's read this. Listen to what he says. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. See, here he's saying that, that I can't just remain silent. Even though I could have remained in America and not gone back to Germany, even though I could have gone back to Germany and I could have lied and said whatever I needed to say to preserve my own life, I am bound by the needs of something greater than my own happiness in order to make my life become something meaningful. Now, this goes square in the face of our modern values, and it feels like, uh, man, what, what is he doing in my needs, my desires, my ability to achieve and receive happiness? That's what should be front and center in my own life. And yet, Bonhoeffer says, no, 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 it actually goes the other way. He's talking about this inversion of values. He describes it this way. One more quote. He says, Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless, in the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued. See, part of what it means to, to really move forward 
in your humanity is to realize that everything that this modern world tells me is worthwhile and valuable, meaning pursue my own individual needs, pursue my own individual happiness, do what makes me feel good about myself, that actually is on the bottom of this pyramid. And on the top of this pyramid is pursuing other people's needs and pursuing other people's values and caring about the needs of the community, even at the sacrifice, sometimes the great sacrifice of my own individual needs. The main point is this, and something that we can take away from their lives. If you want to live a meaningful life, if you want to live a life that is truly significant, you have to let go of your desire for individual rights and needs and happiness and start to serve someone else's. Namely, and and this is maybe just a good place to start, how about the people that are closest to you? I think sometimes we can hear these great stories and say, well, yeah, Bonhoeffer, he was this like exceptionally amazing person, and he was. Or Shannon Cedric Davis, she's this exceptionally amazing person. I don't know her, but I'm sure she is. And, and we can almost romanticize that, that they're like going to these other places and taking on these massive systems of injustice. And that's great. And if the Lord has called you to that, then I encourage you to do that. But there might be ways for you to do the same thing without you even leaving your home to care for the needs of others and to find true meaning and significance by putting their needs ahead of yours. The second thing that we learn is that true character, true wisdom, true maturity shows itself in how we care for the others. That's not just about even selfishly finding our own meaning and significance, but there's actually this idea of character and wisdom, and and that is best obtained by putting someone else ahead of us. Now, we can do that with people that we like probably generally pretty easily because there's this kind of, you know, feeling of, well, hey, this person makes me feel well or this person helps my life or, or this person uh, is, um, is going to maybe one day give me something back. But the real challenge of this comes when we are called to put the needs and the cares and the desires of others ahead of us who maybe we don't actually like who maybe we don't actually fully understand, who maybe we have secretly or maybe very obviously judged. Dorothy Day was a, um, another social activist who, who carried into her idea of justice and, and equality and kind of defending the rights of the poor, specifically women. Um, it was deeply informed by her Catholic faith and her understanding of, of Jesus Christ. And she's writing about this, and, and she talks about the struggles of what it meant to serve Uh, specifically poor people, specifically even further than that, poor people who were ungrateful for all that she was trying to do for them. And listen to what she says about this idea of serving others in love. She says, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Man, that's tough to think about, isn't it? To say that the person that that is around you, the most difficult person to love, that's the person that becomes the real litmus test for how much you really love God or how much character and wisdom and virtue is really inside of you. And that's different from us. We probably say, well, yeah, I love this person because they're easy to love and they're they're carefree and they kind of give me something back and we have a great friendship. And and, and we're tempted to buy into this lie to say, well, see, I'm a really loving person. But the reality is, is that when we get around the people that are incredibly difficult, that we are tempted to judge, that we are tempted to kind of push aside and say, oh, we don't need to care about them. And if we don't see how little we're loving them, We're failing to see the real fruit of love in our own lives. 
Well, let me uh, kind of give you a few examples of this. When I uh, did graduate school, I, I lived in New England, and, and one of the, the greatest gifts of that time is I have this sermon illustration I can use forever. And so this illustration goes like this. Uh, you know, I, I became a Red Sox fan because we lived in Boston, and this was during 2004 when they won their first World Series in like 80-some years. And there was this huge tension between Red Sox fans and Yankees fans at that time. And there still is, but, but especially back then. And so much so that, that there was even uh, a situation where a Red Sox fan, I'm not kidding, ran over a Yankees fan with her car because they got into an argument. And I remember seeing this firsthand. People would put Yankees hats on and just kind of walk down the road. I was like, yeah, I'm wearing it, so what? Red Sox fans would mock them and make fun of them, and it became this huge deal. And, And essentially what Dorothy Day is saying, essentially what it means to really grow in wisdom and love, is to say, even though we have these heated rivalries... Even though we are so different, I can voluntarily and joyfully serve you and love you, even though we're different. Now, I I use that example because there really is no comparison to use an example for the Bengals this season. So let's go ahead and... (laughs) Go Patriots. Okay, so then there's the next thing that... There's the next thing I want to press this a little bit further. Who's different than you that you have trouble loving? Maybe you do look at someone who is economically under-resourced and and are struggling, and you say secretly. You might not ever say this out loud because it would be so rude, but maybe in your heart you're saying, well, yeah, they're just poor because they're lazy. Yeah, they just have a substance abuse because they're, they're lazy and undisciplined, and I would never have a substance abuse problem because I'm more disciplined than that. And I would never be poor like that because I work harder than they do. Can I press you a little bit? That's judgment. You don't know what you would do if you had grown up like they do. You don't. You don't know where you would be had life not fallen in some very specific ways for you that honestly you had nothing to do with. And when we are unwilling to care and to spend our lives reaching out to people that are different than us, we really show how little we've grown in our character and wisdom. Can I I touch on something really, really, really sensitive right now? And I'm allowed to do this because I get to go home today. (laughs) Chad can clean up this mess afterwards. I'm only partially kidding. What... What do you do and how do you treat people who have different political views than you do? What do you do when you treat people who have different views on cardinal institutions like family and marriage? You're allowed to have your thoughts. You really are. And in fact, I hope that you do have thoughts on these things. But regardless of what you think and believe, can you be gracious and kind and loving? And can you even serve people that maybe are different than you? See, Bonhoeffer wasn't Jewish. And he very easily could have said, this is someone else's fight. Shannon Cedric Davis could say, you know what, I don't even live in Africa. This is someone else's fight. And yet, they graciously entered into something 
and said, what's important for me in my own soul, my own character, is to be loving. I just have a really simple question for you. Uh, Is your life primarily about you and your needs and your desires and your wants and your individual pursuit of happiness? Or is your life moving towards, imperfectly for sure, but moving towards being about the needs of a greater community, about serving others ahead of yourself, about even laying down your individual needs and desires and wants so that they might have a shot at something better. Even people that are different than you. Even people that you don't agree with. Your life will either be about you or it'll be about something else. And I'm trying to move you to see something That if you want to be truly significant, if you want your life to have real meaning, if you want to have real character and real virtue that starts to take root in your heart, it comes by putting other people first. Now, I'm a pastor, uh, and so you got to let me do my pastor thing right now, okay? Because I'm the one with the mic. And, And so... As I've just talked to you about these two great examples, there's an example that matters even more than Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Shannon Sedgwick Davis. And that's a man named Jesus. In this person of Jesus, we see all of these things realized in their fullest form. Whatever you think about Jesus, you have to come to terms eventually with the fact that he said he was God. Okay? So he at least thought he was God. And this person who thought he was God, and, and, and I know that if I walked around saying that I was God, I, I would have some pretty clear understandings of what that would mean. Namely, that I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing, and everyone should serve me, or else I would completely obliterate them with my godness. Just destroy them. And yet when Jesus descends from heaven and robes himself in the flesh of a human being, we see the exact opposite And this is like no other story that we see in any other religion. In all the other religions of the world, God comes down, going all the way back to like ancient Mesopotamia through Greeks and Romans and everything else. God comes down and is this vengeful, powerful God demanding that people serve him or serve her or serve it or serve them. And yet Jesus comes down and instead of being this vengeful, powerful force who demands that people serve him, he says, hey, no, 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 actually, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to to put my life in service to you because I don't have anything that I need. I'm God. I'm complete. And yet you as human beings, you have a tremendous amount of needs. And so I'm not looking to get anything from you. I'm here to give something to you. In Jesus, we see a man who lives the life that you and I and every human being that's ever walked this earth should have lived perfection. And then he dies the death that you and I should have died, meaning that he was treated as someone who was imperfect. And I don't have time to go into all this, but death is a curse. That's why every single one of us wants to avoid it. That's why every single one of us, when we see someone who we feel like dies tragically or early or at the hands of an abuser or anything like our war, we say, God, that's not fair because we intuitively know that death doesn't belong in this. 
And Jesus says, yeah, it doesn't belong in this. It is a curse. And I'll go willingly take that curse. I will go put my needs below the needs of the people I'm calling to serve. And then he rises again. And the amazing thing about this is that Jesus says, I'm going to live the life that you should have lived. I'm going to die the death that you should have died. And I'm going to rise again and defeat all this so that you can be treated as a son or as a daughter of God. This is the greatest human innovation. That God comes down and he says, I love you enough to suffer. I love you enough to endure humanity. I love you enough to face a curse. Do you know him? One of the greatest uh, innovators as well that we're not talking about now, but is a man named Paul. And whether you're a Christian or not, uh, people are just kind of agreed on this, that the Apostle Paul was one of the, you know, certainly the most five or absolutely the most ten um, spectacular and, and uh, innovative voices to ever shape human society, regardless of what he says about Jesus. But he says a lot about Jesus. And one of the things he says is so beautiful where he describes what it means to be the recipient of this kind of service and this kind of love and care from the God of the universe. Listen to what he says in Romans. He says, For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, meaning he gave himself up for someone. Someone who didn't deserve it, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You, me, Shannon Cedric Davis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we're all what Paul would say is a sinner in need of something. And thank God, through Jesus, that he gives us what we need. If you want the power to make your life about other people, if you want the power to be able to surrender your own needs, if you want the power to be able to live with real character and virtue, the only way that's really going to come, truly, is if you receive the love and the power of God through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that uh, you be with our hearts here this morning. And we confess that every single one of us in our own ways, whether they are very large and obvious or whether they are seemingly small and hidden, we want to put ourselves first. And God, when we hear stories like we've heard this morning, we're reminded that a different kind of way of living is possible. So God, help us to believe in that. And I pray that the power and the life and the work of your son Jesus would come and rest heavy on our hearts. And through the voice and influence of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move us towards more of these things. Letting go. Serving others. Finding our deepest meaning and significance by caring for things that are not our own. We pray all of this in the glorious and wonderful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
You know, it's such a blessing to hear you this morning. Thank you so much for seeing us again. And uh, we look forward to uh, the next time we get to hear you. Your teaching hits me right in the heart today. And I hope it does you too, that I hope you can go out and find a way that God has planned for you to institute a change, whether it's uh, globally or just within your home or in your community. You can find that strength from above that will lead you to make a change for the good. And uh, we're so glad you're here this morning. Next week we will continue in Trailblazers, and we'll see you then. Thank you.